You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. In October of last year, Autumn and the World Intellectual Property Organization hosted a two-day leadership summit in Geneva, Switzerland, where 36 knowledge and technology transfer leaders from 29 countries and territories gathered to discuss the current state of practice and future direction of the field. As Autumn's third global summit and the first held in partnership with WIPO, the event aimed to provide a platform for knowledge exchange and dialogue among peers and experts addressing key issues that impact the knowledge and technology transfer landscapes. Joining us today is Steve Sasalka, Chief Executive Officer of Autumn, to discuss and dive into the highlights and outcomes of the summit with insights into the current trends and challenges in knowledge and tech transfer. Welcome, Steve. I'm really excited to have you on the air. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to finally have you on the podcast. And I wanted to talk to you today about the summit. I mean, it was such a diverse group of leaders gathering there in Geneva. It must have been exciting and a really thought-provoking event. So I'm really curious to know, how did it all go? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Um, we were thrilled with this event. This is actually the third time we've had this event. Uh, so the purpose of this event is to pull together tech transfer leaders. And when I say tech transfer leaders, I actually mean the leaders in their country. So we would have leaders like the leader of uh, South Africans Tech Transfer Association or Mexico or Brazil or New Zealand or Australia. And it was a really wonderful way to get that perspective from around the globe on how we're all working towards uh, knowledge and technology transfer. Uh, it was really great. Um, we were able to bring together um, dozens of leaders from uh, around the globe. So whether it was Brazil or Pakistan or Chile or Canada or Estonia or Thailand or Croatia or Australia, it really was was just a, a nice group to bring together. So uh, we, we've loved doing it. It's the third time we've done it. First time we've done it uh, since the pandemic, of course. One of the great additions this year is we partnered with WIPO and we actually held it at the WIPO headquarters. Um, oh, that's we were, neat. Oh, it was it was great. And one of the the wonderful parts about that was Director General Darren Tang uh, joined us um, for uh, a, a really uh, open question and answer session. So just a real great, um, great opportunity to get that group together and really look at our changing field. You know that if if there's one thing I get from this summit every year, it's our profession is changing quickly. And we need to adapt. You know, we're, we're a field about innovation. We need to innovate in our field. So it sounds like it was an amazing experience. So there must have been some pretty big topics and themes that you talked about. Can you share some of those with us? Sure. Yeah. Every year um, uh, at the summit, we generally have two main topics that we schedule. And then we kind of have sort of a hot topics like what's on your mind. So the two main things that we covered this year was uh, models for government funding. So it's, it's amazing how different 
funding of technology or, or knowledge transfer is uh, across the globe. So we covered that. And the second thing uh, that we talked about is um, a recognition that we need to expand diversity and inclusion across the entire ecosystem, not just at the tech transfer uh, level, but really from the innovator level as well. And then, of course, we talked about you know a, a whole host of hot topics, whether that was how do you measure impact, how do you raise awareness of technology transfer, um, and, and of course, the, the, the topic that we hit every single year, the expanding of the profession. We are no longer a profession that focuses solely on patent licensing. We are broader than that. Absolutely broader than that. And, and I'd like to get into each one of those themes a little bit. And let's start with the funding, since that was the first one you mentioned. And you mentioned that there's quite a difference um, in policy in terms of funding, depending on where in the world you are. Um, but I noticed from reading the report that it mentioned that government funding for knowledge tech transfer is often project-based. So why is that somewhat of a concern? Right. Yeah. So actually, this was a, a really fascinating topic. We covered a lot of different aspects. So so let's kind of take them uh, one by one. So, so the first one is, what does government funding of tech transfer look like worldwide? And, and the quick answer is different. It looks different depending on the country you're in. So, for example, there are um, many countries that actually support technology transfer or knowledge transfer, um, and that support is actually at the infrastructure level. So that's support for staffing, that's support for patent costs. Um, those are not project-focused uh, uh, capacity building. That is really infrastructure capacity building. What we found was depending on the country, there were different levels of funding of knowledge or technology transfer. In some countries, like in Estonia or India or Pakistan or the UK, there was actually defined funding for technology transfer capacity building that really was defined as funding of people, funding of patent costs, not just specific project-based. In other countries, like New Zealand, Australia, others, there were specific funds, but those funds were provided for things like proof of concept. So they, they are things I think of as accelerants, but without that core infrastructure, kind of hard to drive forward. And then, of course, there are countries uh, throughout the world that don't actually have any specific government funding for knowledge and technology transfer activities. The most notable before uh, the Chips and Science Act was passed uh, late last year uh, is the United States. So, Steve, the report talks about that government funding for knowledge tech transfer is often project based. So why is this a concern? Yeah, that's a really good question and, and something that we spent a, a fair amount of time talking about at the summit. Um, I, I think maybe the best way to answer that question is to, to take a step back when we think about knowledge and technology transfer. When I think about knowledge or technology transfer, I think about it like a conduit um, or a road or, or infrastructure. Uh, it's not technology transfer specifically that creates the invention nor is it technology transfer specifically that sells the resulting product or service. I think about technology transfer as that route between the idea and the final resulting product or service. Actually, one of the things that was interesting is we often refer to this as wiring. Tech transfer is kind of the wiring, and you could almost think about it like electricity and the light bulb. 
Tech transfer is that wiring between the light switch, that, that idea, and the actual bulb that goes off the, the product, the, the service at the end. So if you think about technology transfer as infrastructure and a conduit to help advance those innovations, and you also recognize that those innovations uh, often are very serendipitous. You can't actually predict where those inventions come from, what they'll be, what fields they're in, which inventor creates them. If instead you just want to make a road as broad as possible – that funding should expand the road. And so back to your question, why do some countries support project funding and why is that somewhat challenging to the tech transfer community? And the answer is this. If it's project-based, you're being opportunistic and you are predicting innovations going to happen in a certain place at a certain time in a certain field. And Honestly, it's too hard to predict. So instead, if that investment is invested in the roads, the infrastructure, so whether that's artificial intelligence or cancer therapeutics or alternative energy sources, if you invest in the infrastructure, any of those would be advanced as opposed to putting all your money on black. Yeah, what you're, I think you're saying is the societal and economic impact um, will be a lot broader if you do it that way rather than just purely project-based. Exactly. So, Steve, you mentioned another big theme at the summit was equity, diversity, and inclusion, which is a topic I'm particularly passionate about. Share with us some of the topics that was discussed under that theme. Sure. We covered a lot of ground on that, and it was really interesting that this focus on DEI is really global, as it should be. Yet the approaches to it were very different. Uh, and so we covered a lot of different topics. Um, one example uh, that, that we covered a, a fair amount is that of focusing on social impact and social innovation. So the recognition that knowledge and technology transfer is not a revenue generation goal. It's a societal impact goal. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times the drivers of that uh, knowledge or technology transfer, say the, the funds that are funding the innovation and the commercialization of those innovations, is actually driven by revenue, not society or societal impact. What we're finding is that they're actually becoming these funds that are specific to uh, social innovation outcomes. So, for example, um, uh, there are a number of uh, countries and TTOs that have uh, what they call triple impact KPIs. So they focus on three different things. They focus on the commercial aspect, but they also focus on the societal and the environmental impact. And that's been really interesting. In Australia, for example, um, they, they use this approach and they use that to ensure that their companies adhere to their social responsibility rather than just following that's, that commercial return. Um, so that's a really interesting uh, aspect. New Zealand has a similar program and their budget uh, framework is really focused around well-being. Um, and we found this in Chile and, and other countries around the world. So it was a really interesting approach to recognizing, again, technology or, or knowledge transfer is broader than just patent licensing for commercial return. And so we found that really interesting. Another topic that we discussed is that of gender inclusion in the innovation ecosystem. 
And we approached this from a really broad perspective. So we talked about it at the uh, innovator level. Then we also talked about it at the uh, tech transfer or knowledge transfer level as well. And one of the recognitions is women are unfortunately underrepresented in those populations. And so how were different countries approaching that? And so, again, depending on which of those populations that you're looking at, are you looking at the innovator or are you looking at the tech transfer office or the tech transfer role? What we found was in different countries, different approaches were used to advance inventorship. For example, in Pakistan, there was the creation of a new award called Shine, which meant she invented and empowered for women who invent and commercialize a new technology or new process. It was a great way to provide a spotlight and provide a guiding light for other people that might be interested in inventing. Uh, another example was in Korea. Uh, there was a mentor-driven program designed specifically for women entrepreneurs called the Tech Frontier, which was used to also increase the number of women entrepreneurs. So one of the other topics that we discussed is the recognition that there are more than two genders. We often just measure male versus female inventors or patentees for that matter. However, there's also non-binary people. And so there's the recognition that we also need to be able to measure that population as we proceed forward in our DEI initiatives. So, Steve, I also noticed that the report talks about creating future innovators. Can you talk a little bit about that portion of the summit? Sure. Happy to. So this was a, a really interesting discussion that really actually tied together our two topics, one of which was government funding of knowledge or technology transfer, and the second was that of DEI initiatives. And what we talked about was oftentimes what we want are more underrepresented innovators. However, unfortunately, that's an area that's challenging for the members of a technology transfer office to advance. Yes, there are ways to encourage more um, innovations from underrepresented populations within that school, but the faculty or the students that exist there uh, are really not defined by that tech transfer office. So one of the things that we talked about was a recognition that to build a more robust and diverse pipeline of innovators, you actually have to start at the beginning, and that is at the inquiring minds. And that is beyond the scope of a tech transfer office, yet it is squarely within the scope of that country. That country wants to develop innovation at an early age across its population. And there were a number of different examples of governments that actually supported this type of innovator mentorship growth that ideally will lead to innovations and new products and services downstream. So, for example, in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, KAUST, the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, had a massive open online course on entrepreneurship, which was followed by over 120,000 people. It was a great way to get the population thinking about entrepreneurship and innovation in a different way. 
in Ireland, uh, the government set up programs that focused on uh, specific students on getting startup funding uh, based on scientific proposals. Uh, another actually great example is in the United Kingdom, IP is taught from elementary school. So think about that. It should be that way everywhere. It should be taught in elementary school. Exactly. If you think that math and science and English are important, sure, you probably should teach that in early age. If you think innovation is important, you probably should teach that earlier. Uh, as the as the dad of of two daughters, I recognize that it's really important for me to have my girls interested in science and technology. And it wasn't just Ireland or the UK, but other countries around the world are developing programs specifically to uh, develop entrepreneurship. So Brazil had a uh, had actually multiple entrepreneurial programs targeting young children. Um, Chile did. Uh, Australia had a innovation vacation program. Oh, cool. where Yeah. I didn't have that when I was a kid. No, me either. <laughs> a day camp where younger students can learn about prototyping and startup methodology. So again, it was this recognition that although knowledge and tech transfer professionals can help create a more diverse ecosystem, there also needs to be governmental focus. So, Steve, we've talked about government funding, equity, diversity, inclusion, and now we're at the third topic, which you said was hot topic. So share with us a little bit about what was discussed during this session. Sure. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the summit, and it's because we don't know what to expect. So we have all of these leaders from around the globe in the same room, and we just kind of want to tap into their collective brain power and say, hey, what's on your mind? And the topics that we get are often just as interesting as the ones we schedule. So this time, uh, we, we talked about a lot of different things. One of the things we talked about is how do you raise researchers' awareness of the impact of their work in society? And one of the recognitions is oftentimes those innovators are not focused on that final commercial product. And so to help them advance, so you have these brilliant people around the globe developing inventions, not recognizing that the tangible outcome of their decades of research is that final invention turned into a product or service. We talked about how can we actually help those innovators. And so there were a number of recommendations that we hit. One of the things we discussed is how are innovators incentivized? In the United States, there's a promotion and tenure program, just like there is uh, across the globe. However, inventions or patent applications are really not a part of that P&T process. Uh, that perhaps is changing in the United States, and there was a discussion that better incentivizing entrepreneurial faculty members, better incentivizing the commercialization of uh, ideas should be a portion of uh, assessing a researcher's uh, career progression. Other things we talked about were things like institutional support to engage those researchers. So if they've got an idea but yeah, they've never really prototyped it, that's not really their thing. Well, hey, what if inst the institution, so not the government, but the institution had some de-risking or prototyping funds to actually advance that invention a little further? It's amazing what might come out of that. 
And then we also talked about the importance of infusing that culture of innovation throughout the entire uh, institution. And so we talked about that from both a top-down, so from a leadership level, recognizing the importance of innovation and pushing that down, as well as a bottom-up approach where tech transfer offices are working with graduate students that really become tech transfer ambassadors that go back to their uh, individual departments that can then, uh, again, infuse this culture of innovation that hopefully will result in more innovative thinking across the entire institution. So that was one of the topics that we discussed. Another topic that we covered at the summit during our Hot Topics session was how do you best measure impact and value? And one of the recognitions that we had here is it's really easy to count some things. It's easy to count the number of inventions. It's easy to count the number of patent applications or license agreements. But that is not an indicator of impact. Instead, it would be better to track impact, recognizing that that is where it gets really tricky. And so it was this tension between things we can count and we have control over, inventions, patent applications as examples, and then it's the actual overall outcome that you want, which is the impact, the lives saved, the money saved, the life expectancy increased, much more difficult to measure. So, Steve, this discussion has been absolutely fascinating. Where can listeners go to learn more about the findings of the summit? We actually have a summary of our summit that can be found on our website, and I encourage your listeners to check it out. So, Steve, you mentioned that this is the third global summit. Is there going to be another summit anytime soon? Yes. In fact, we're holding another summit in Santiago, Chile later this fall. And one of the things I'm really excited about is we're going to be partnering again with WIPO. Their input and perspective was really invaluable at our last summit. In fact, we had Director General Darren Tang provide remarks, but we also had Deputy Director Marco Alman participated for the entire session. And his perspective, again, as the Deputy Director of WIPO, which is really the organization when you think about worldwide intellectual property, was a wonderful addition. So look forward to sharing the results from that summit in a future podcast. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining me on the air today to talk about the Autumn WIPO Summit and some of the fascinating discussions held between tech transfer leaders from around the globe. Thanks for having me, Lisa. That wraps up this episode of Autumn on the Air. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, 
insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and the line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.